0: everybody this is round six mma talk the fight after the fight with me your boy noah petrie i know i know what you're thinking another mma podcast i know there's a lot of us out there but if you like bold unapologetic hot takes a detailed broken down view of the fight game and of course stomach hurting comedy well come to the right place (laughs) what is good everyone i hope all y'all had a good week i hope all y'all had a good weekend of course this is our six mma talk the fight after the fight you already know who it is is your boy noah motherfucking petrie aka trey i'm just going on a tangent and rambling right now so this is episode six of the podcast I want to get into the uh, last MMA event that we had, the last two MMA events that we had. One is UFC Fight Night, Volkov vs. Rosenstruck. And then we had one championship, I believe it was one championship 158. I could have the number wrong there, I'm not exactly sure. But I'm pretty sure that's the number there. So a little bit of background of what's going on for the week. For the most part, my life is pretty fucking boring. Um, I had a friend's birthday, shout out to Josh. He him and his brother says they want to listen to the podcast. We'll see if they actually listen to the podcast. It was casual fucks. They don't really watch MMA much. They watch UFC here and there. They know some of the fighters. Um let's we'll see if they actually do it. Besides that, was chillin' Saturday, was chillin' Sunday. It's hot as fucking New York right now. Every time I have to record, I have to close all the windows, all the blinds to make sure no background noise gets in, and I literally bake like a fucking potato. It's so hot. Right now, I'm recording in my drawers, literally, just drawers. Draws in front of a microphone, just recording. I probably look fucking crazy right now if anyone can see me, but when you're in this New York heat, man, there's nothing else you can't do. So I'm going to get into the UFC fight night first, and I'll get into um, the one championship. After that, of course, you already know how the layout goes. I'm going to be going over MMA news slash drama. Then after that, the Petri predictions for UFC 275, John Blockowitz against Yuri Plohazka. I nearly blanked out on their names for a second because their names are super European and I have to remember them. So let's get into this last fight night so of course you know the layout and how i i go about the fight nights and and the fights and uh, all the mma events in general i go from the fights that happen first into the main card going upwards lastly being the main event Uh, It's just easier for me when I'm watching the fights to take notes that way and I see everyone else do the opposite way around. So it's just my little niche to be different because I always try to be different as much as I can. I was always like that in general for almost basically everything. So I'm going to be going over Manifield against Mazarov. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. I'm just going to call him Maz because I don't feel like pronouncing his entire name. You guys know who I'm talking about already. But dude, Manifield did a very, very, very good job coming out the gate hot. Shooting for a takedown, neutralizing Maza striking, brilliant game plan all around. He scored a strong double leg, got into the crucifix position, which I truly, truly, truly love the crucifix position. Because one, it's one of those few positions that once you're in it, dude, it's almost impossible to get out. You can't, def- it's one of those like, sure, as soon as you get caught in that position, the fight's basically over at that point. Because you can't defend any strikes coming at you, whether they be through punches or through elbows. I think if you're going to do elbows, it's going to cause the most damage. Both of your arms are neutralized, literally, in a crucifix-like position. And you just got to sit there and take the punishment that your opponent's giving you. So it's one of those few positions that if you're able to effectively get it, it's a surefire win. Um, Yeah, surefire win. So he was able to get the crucifix position. He won through ground-up-hand TKO. Now, afterwards, there was some hostility that I noticed. I I, they, they, you know, I didn't really see them having a beef before the fight or anything like that or during the press or any of that kind of stuff. So, it was kind of shocking that Manifield was so aggressive towards um, Mazarov. I knew Manifield, he's he's, for the most part, a very calm, cool, collected type of guy. Um, I've been watching his fights for years now, and I never seen anything like that come out of him. He's not someone who really hypes him up, hypes himself up for the fight, and really tries to find a way to hate his opponent. So I was kind of, you know, baffled, like, "Yo, why is he so aggressive after the fight?" Afterwards, in the post press press conference, we re- we come to find out that um, Mazov, Maz, basically, I'm just gonna say Maz, Maz, he was talking crap to Manafield while they were fighting. And you know he was just saying a bunch of different stuff. I think he was talking about Manfield's family, or you know, just talking crap. It got under Manfield's skin. Um, he won the fight. Afterwards, still hostility. He says he's gonna. He saw him in the parking lot. Was ready to fight him in the parking lot. I think the fighting in the parking lot is a little unnecessary. You don't have to go to that length. But then again, you know, if you know trash talk, some people can handle it. Some people can't. Either way, he got the TKO finish. Shout out to him. Then we have Silver against Patello. Patello did a very good job maintaining distance for most of the round. She was landing more significant strikes, she was sticking and moving, getting out of the way of all the strikes, up until Silva landed that devastating right hand, sunk into dars. My thing is, you have to have heard the, the clap. When there's the last 10 seconds of a round, you hear the clapping. The that. You hear it. Um even when you're watching it from TV, you hear it very clearly. I can't imagine how loud it is when your ringsider actually fighting. So you got the so you're in your opponent's dars right? You're you're basically slowly being choked unconscious and you hear the clap. My thing is, maybe you couldn't held on for the, the last you know six seconds. I think there was six seconds left into the round. You couldn't hold out those last six seconds. That I mean, then again, listen, listen. Obviously, I'm not a pro fighter it's a lot easier said and done hanging on when you're literally about to be choked unconscious. I I wasn't in the dark, so I don't know how deep the dars was or how close she was to a to being choked unconscious already. But my thing was, you know, it was those last six seconds of the round, bro, you couldn't have out. It's the same thing when I look at the fight between Um Paul Craig against Uncle Iev. Uncle Iev, the last ten seconds got thrown into a triangle. I think Uncle Iev tapped very fast. Basically got thrown into that triangle. Then again, I'm not the fighter, so I don't know how deep it is, etc. But it, it's, it's always kind of disappointing to me when I see, again, this happens rarely too, but it's always disappointing when I see a fighter who, in these special kind of circumstances, the opponent gets them in the submission in the last you know, few seconds of the round and they tend to give up. But then again, of course, I'm not a pro fighter. I could be getting shit for even bringing this up, but I'm just it's just an observation that I saw that I wanted to bring up. Now we're going to get into Almeida versus Trezano. Almeida was doing a really good job the whole first round. He was landing more significant strikes. Um, he was, not only was he landing more significant strikes, he was switching up his striking. Leg kicks, body kicks, I mean, leg kicks, body shots, punches to the head. Um, now, of course, all the all the strikes he was landing as well, were all damaging strikes so they weren't just like you know just throwing it to have volume he was landing more to volume and he was landing all the devastating striking as well all those all the strikes he was throwing was power behind those strikes you can hear it um you heard it on the tv screen me watching at home i can't believe how loud it was being at the actual event now he does get rocked and dropped bad at the end of that round now my thing is who do you score the round for at that point because when I was looking after the round, you have everyone on Twitter saying, oh, it was 10-9 uh, Trezano, 10-9 Trezano. My thing is, okay, Trezano literally dropped them at the end of the round, literally at the very end of the round. He, he couldn't utilize any real ground and pound or anything like that. So all the work that Almeida did up until that point for four minutes and like, you know, 40, 4 minutes of 40 seconds, 4 minutes of 50 seconds means nothing because he got dropped to the end of the round. When he was landing more significant strikes and landing the dam- the more damaging strikes too, that kind of doesn't make any sense to me. So for me, I pro- if I was a judge, I probably would have scored it maybe even a draw. I feel like judges are so hesitant to, to score draws nowadays, or just in general. They never want to score a round or draw, they never want to score a fight or draw. It always has to be a winner, one case or the other, from round to round or from fight to fight. When in some cases, it's just easier and better to do that draw. Me personally, if I was a judge at that particular moment, yes, Trezano dropped not the very end of the round, but he was getting his ass beat the entire round. So I would have possibly Did it a draw. I mean, I guess if you're going to give it to someone, you have to give it to Shazano because he dropped his opponent. But then again, I just don't like the fact that you can be completely dominating your opponent for an entire round. But if you get dropped at the end of the round, you automatically lose, period. All the work you did to that point for that entire round, out the drain because you got dropped. I I just don't sit well with that, to be honest with you. So I personally would have scored it a draw. For that first round. And the second round was completely different. The second round, Almeida came in. He dropped his opponent. It was a clear 10-9. Maybe even a 10-8. He, I think there was an accidental clash of heads. And it opened up a cut in Trezano. Which is a very bad cut. I honestly thought they were going to stop the fight. Because the cut wouldn't stop bleeding. It wouldn't stop bleeding. When he got to the corner, the cut man was literally trying his best. Just to stop the bleeding as much as possible. It wasn't a big cut per se. You know, it wasn't like... The cut that Nate Diaz suffered against Jorge Maslow when they when they fought back in 2019, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a huge cut. It was you know a decent sized cut. He's definitely going to get stitches for it, but it just wouldn't stop bleeding. Usually, when a cut just doesn't stop bleeding, it keeps gushing. That kind of worries the doctors, and they want to call the fight right away. So I thought you know maybe they might have called it eventually, but there was no need for it. Almeida went in there, knocked his opponent out. Um, it was a very bad stoppage for Mark Smith though. Cause after Armeida dropped and was on top of him giving ground and pound, he was pounding him out for a while. Pause, that sounded super gay. But he 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 was ground and pounding his his, his opponent for a while there. For a while. And I, I I Mark Smith took a while to jump in to call the fight. It was a bad stoppage on Mark Smith, but either way, shout out to Armeida. He overcame adversity in that first round to win the second round and put him away in the third round. Now we have Ige against To be honest with you, bro, my track record up until this point was immaculate. Every single fight I called was correct. Whether it be through unfortunate judging decisions or not, it was still correct. But these two fights that I called, that I predicted for this event, bro, I couldn't have been more off. So we had Ige and gets Evolve, right? Now, Ige did a fairly good job takedown defense in the first round or the first half of the fight, per se. Ige was able to stuff a lot of the takedowns. When he did get taken down, he was able to get back up immediately. When uh, Evolve had his back, he was able to reverse position. He was doing very good that first, second round. When it comes to takedown defense, what I was honestly shocked at was how much Evolve was piecing him up on the feet. Ige didn't have. Any answer to evolve when it comes to striking-wise. I knew that Evolov's strong suit was going to be grappling. If he was going to win this fight, it was going to utilize his grappling. Which he did utilize a lot of his grappling. But bro, he as far as striking-wise, he really didn't need to. Granted, he made it a, a safer fight utilizing the grappling. But whenever there was striking involved, evolve was clearly getting the better of him. Like, he landed a really devastating flying knee in the beginning of the first round. That kind of, no... Stunned Ige for a little bit, but Ige, you know, the dude has a grain of chin. He just kept going. Ivolov, uh, I think he, he landed a couple flush knees in the whole fight. In general, his striking was very good. Every time Ige was 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 trying to to go inside the pocket and and land a significant strike, he was getting countered by Ivolov. Ivolov completely, you know, outclassed him in that fight. It was one of those fights where you can clearly see it, one op- one person was clearly better than the other person. And this is the case for Ivolov. Ivolov was clearly better than Ige in all aspects of MMA in that fight. And it was clear to see. So now two things we have going forward. One, we know Ivolov is the real deal. Because Ige is a very good fighter. Ige is one of those fighters that if you beat Ige, then you're at the true upper echelons of the division. You're one of those guys in the division. He's kind of a gatekeeper in that sense. So we got to find out that Evolov is that is a real deal. He is that guy. And two, that Ige, unfortunately, will never climb up to the upper echelon of the division. I think he's in his late 20s, early 30s. Developmental-wise, maybe he has, you know, two, three years left to truly develop his game and become more well-rounded. But honestly, I just think he's going to be one of those fighters that are going to stay in the outskirts of the upper echelon of the division. I think he was still, you know... Balance into the top ten eventually. I don't know where he's ranking at now after the fight, but I do think you know he would get into the top ten. He may stay in that in in that area, but I don't think he will climb any further and be one of those top 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 dogs. I I just don't see it. I think we've seen everything that Ige is capable of for the most part. Can he still develop a little bit more and, and truly? Make his game more well-rounded. Yes, I think his striking is very good. I think his grappling, his takedown defense does need some work. He's not a chump on the ground by any means. He has a black belt. Um, His jiu-jitsu is pretty good. But for the most part, dude, if you're able to out-grapple Ige, the fight is basically yours. And that's what we've seen across the board. Now, Ivolov did call out Arnold Allen after the fight. I think that fight makes such an interesting fight. Because Arnold Allen is good at grappling as well. Arnold Allen is good at striking as well. He has some power behind his punches. It would be a very interesting fight to see. I don't know if the UFC makes it because both of them are hot prospects in a way. Um, Evolve is undefeated. I think Allen has one loss. I have to look at his resume again. But he's on like a 10-fight win streak or something crazy like that. Usually, you know, the UFC don't pair two of these guys like this with each other because... You know, they want, they want one to eventually fight for a title and have a matchup afterwards, etc. So I don't know if that's the fight that UFC is going to make. I would like to see Evola fight someone like Bryce Mitchell too. I think that's also an interesting matchup. I don't know if Bryce has a fight up and coming as of yet. I believe he does. I don't know who the opponent is. But these fight, these matchups make a ton of sense. And this is fights fight i like to see. I don't know if the UFC is going to make it, but I think... They would be incredible if they do make it. Now, here's the issue with the featherweight division, right? We have a lot of top prospects in this division, like Bryce Mitchell, Eve Olive, Arnold Allen. Chicago was one of them until he got beat by Calvin Cater. I don't think Chicago's stock dropped that much, but you know, we 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 seen what what him facing the upper echelon's of the division looks like so when you have you know the top five top six guys they're, they're right now is in a it's in a place where they're constantly fighting each other so they're constantly fighting each other and fighting for the belt i want to see some of these top guys fight for the belt i want to see some of these top guys you know go into fight to fight i mean some of the prospects some of these up and coming guys fight the top guys possibly beat them and start fighting for the belt. I want to see it. I don't want to see constantly the same, you know, four, five, six people duking it out for the title all the time. That's kind of annoying and gets boring after a while. So I want to see some of these up and coming guys start fighting the upper echelons of the division, like a Cater, like a Yair, like Brian Ortega, like Korean Zombie, like those kind of guys. Uh, Alonzo Volkonsky, Max Holloway. I don't know if you know, people like Arnold Allen, Bryce Mitchell, and Evolive can beat those top guys. I'm not sure yet, to be honest with you. I probably wouldn't favor them to fight to to, to fight some of those guys. But I, this is, these are fights that I really want to see going forward. And now we have Volkov against Rosenstruck. My fucking God, was I wrong about this one. This is how I thought the fight was going to play out, right? I thought Rosenstruck was going to... Do Rosenstruck. Be Rosenstroke Which is literally not throw much at all. Um, wait for it to counter strike. Capitalize it and knock out his opponent. I thought Volkov would be more timid. Because he knows the knockout power in Rosenstroke And he got dropped his last fight and submitted by Tom Aspinall. Which was literally not that long ago. So I thought maybe he would be more timid in the fight. Not throw as much. But I think Volkov have a beautiful blame, game plan going in. He went in there. He stuck in the pocket. He was hitting. He was hitting Rosenstuck with constant combinations. I think a head kick rocked Ro- Rosenstuck or a right hand. One or the other. Maybe the head kick followed up after the right hand, but he landed it and he stunned Rosenstuck. I didn't expect Volkov to put him away, but he hit him with the TKO. Which is, I think, is Volkov's first ever TKO ever. God, I could have been so wrong about these last two fights. It's incredible. That's why you love MMA. Because you truly don't know what's going to happen. You could be watching MMA, you know, since it began. And you think that you know all the patterns and everything else. And you've seen this before. And at times, you just get shocked. Which is the beauty of the sport. Which I enjoy so much. But, was now, the, the talk of the MMA community was, was it an early stoppage? I don't know if it was an early stoppage. To be entirely honest with you. I think maybe Herb Dean could have, you know, let it play out a little bit longer because Rose wasn't completely out. He was covering up. He was taking some big shots. I don't think maybe I'm not. I really, really, really don't think anything would have changed as far as outcome wise because Rose is not a grappler. If Rose would have went into a grappling position right after being rocked or on the fence like that, then I would have said it was it was more of an early stoppage. But I'm not really complaining about the stoppage because I don't think the outcome would have changed any which way from what we originally saw, so as far as both guys go, it's it's one of those fights that yeah, it was a exciting t k o stoppage, but it really doesn't do that much for either man because we knew what the you know the upper echelon of what Rosenstruw can do, and we know. The highest peak that Volkov could do. We've seen them fight against the very top elite guys in the division. We've seen them lose to those guys. Granted, both men have only lost to the very top of the division. But we've seen where they cap off at for the most part, both men. So it was one of those fights that, you know, it wasn't like the co event. Where we saw someone who we're trying to see what his potential, what he can rise to. We, 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 we know what both Volkov and Roger Struc Are truly capable of in the division But either way It was a solid victory for Volkov Shout out to him That back tattoo if he has I think it's is Japanese based Is very very good Typically MMA tattoos fucking suck Most people's tattoos in general suck That's the thing If you look at most people who have tattoos If they have a lot of tattoos Almost all of them suck There's probably one that's very good but the other ones are probably garbage. Now when you have very intricate tattoos. Like something that's traditional Japanese. Or that kind of stuff. You want to go to an artist that specializes in that. You're going to have to pay top dollar. It's going to be very expensive. You're going to be many hours under you know, the tattoo pen. Tattoo needle etc. So the fact that he has a very good tattoo. When you see a very good tattoo in MMA. It truly stands out to you. Because there's so many fucking bad ones. I think he has one of the best. Him. Dylan Dennis has a really good one. I didn't even want to talk about him because he's you know a hot mess. But his tattoos are very good. For Rattori's tattoos are very good. Those are exemplary tattoo work in MMA. Mostly with tattoos in MMA again. Suck fucking ass. Now I want to get into one championship. I'm not really going to get into the fights to one championship because I... I don't watch one championship as much to be honest with you for the fact that the events don't happen that often like this event that just happened the 158 I believe that's the number of it the next fight will be in another month and a half and after that I don't even know when the next fight will be after that so they don't have a truly consistent schedule like the UFC that you can watch back to back to back so you can become very familiar with their fighters unfortunately. But from what I've seen from the product, I'm just going to be going over what I've seen from the One Championship product, what I like about it, what I don't like about it, what could possibly be improved on, and et cetera, et cetera. But for the most part, what I've seen from One Championship, I like. I honestly like. I like the product of One Championship. I prob- I As far as MMA promotions go, of which ones I prefer to watch... As far as overall product-wise, is UFC, of course, number one. And I would say one championship, number two. I do like Bellator. I think Bellator has far better fighters than one championship. One champion has some good fighters, don't get me wrong. But as far as, you know, overall talent pool, I think Bellator's talent pool is far higher than one championship. But I think that the overall viewing product is better than Bellator. And the reason for it is, is like, the overall layout, the lighting, um... The announcing team needs some work. I'm going to go over that as well. But as far as me, viewership, I personally like it more than watching Bellator. One um, Championship doesn't have that tournament format. I'm not a fan of the tournament format. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care for tournaments. I truly do not give a shit about tournaments. I don't care for them. I don't care. I think UFC is rolling out of a product called The Road to UFC and they're doing a the tournament format. That's interesting. I would like to see that, to be honest with you. Maybe I'm just a hypocrite. But then again, as far as most tournaments go, I really don't care for them. i ver- I don't care for them. So I like that Bell Tour, I mean I like that one championship doesn't follow that specific you know product set there. Um I do think you know the overall lighting and aspect of, of One Championship is better than Bell Tour. I do like the whole clapping thing or you know the bell afterwards when the fight is done. I don't know why I really, really like that. Maybe it's a nostalgia feeling to it, but for some reason I oddly like that. Um, I like the rule set for a one championship more than Tour. I like knees to a grounded opponent. I love that. I love kicks to a grounded opponent. You know, maybe you, you maybe you know, you can't be stomping on someone's head when they're when they're you know, face first to the ground or something. But knees to a downed opponent, I, I personally like it a lot. I think it really revolutionizes the game. It could be. It, it will never happen in the USA because people would deem it too brutal. Um, and you know, you had you get the whole human cockfighting again, that kind of bullshit. But I like that rule setting aspect to it. They talk about the hydration tests and all that shit. I don't believe that until there's further proof and evidence that they're actually doing hydration tests and you know they aren't doing weight cutting. I don't fucking believe them. Of course, it's an it's Indonesian based. So are all those fighters juiced up? I guarantee you they're juiced. Guarantee. I'm not going to say any fighters per se because I don't want to get into any legal trouble. But literally, if it's not said in the contract that you can't be juicy, motherfuckers are going to be juicy. You better know that. They're going to be juicy. The same thing with Pride. Pride literally said in the contract, we don't test for PEDs. I guarantee you in Ryzen and in in, uh, one championship, which is Indonesian-based, they probably don't test for PEDs. Guarantee motherfuckers are juicy, they don't have a USADA, so why wouldn't they be juicy? It doesn't make any sense to not be juicy. So, I'm not gonna say any fighters per name because I don't want to get into legal trouble, but I'm fairly positive those fighters over there are a little juicy, which I don't really mind. If every if, here's the thing if everyone's juicy, I don't mind. If we're all it's it's either you're all in or you're all out when it comes to PEDs for me. So, if we're if we're all juicy, if we're juiced up, that's fine. Because everyone's on an even playing field because we're all juicy. But if we have a set of rules in place that, no, you can't be juicy. This is not allowed. And you get juicy anyway. Then I I, I don't. Then I, I'm going to shit on that fighter. Because that's the rules. We got to follow the rules. If all your opponents are not juiced up to the tits for PEDs, you can't be either. So that's my you know kind of viewpoint on it. If we all doing it, then fuck it. I don't care. If there's a rule set that you know restrict us doing it then you can't do it that's that's my viewpoint on peds and if you're confused with me saying you know juicy and everything else i was basically referring to steroids and peds and all that other stuff so is there definitive proof that everyone in one championship is juicy no technically there isn't but um i would bet money that a lot of those dudes are not saying names but i guarantee a lot of those dudes are But besides that, as far as the announce teams goes, there's one guy who's in the announce team for the commentator for one championship he's an american guy him i actually really like listening to some people say oh you know you don't need to listen to announcers etc etc i personally like listening to the announcers because if i miss something or if if there's something i don't know because i don't know everything i would like to hear it i would like to get knowledge from it um for some people who has a special specialization in one thing i would like to hear them talk about that one thing for instance dc dc is a two-time olympian in wrestling Dude is an expert in wrestling. He has his master's degree. and He has a PhD in wrestling. So whenever there's a fight that's predominantly wrestling-based, I would very much prefer to hear DC talk about it because he's an expert at it. He can give me an in-depth... um Perspective and what's happening with a fighter, you know wrestling or doing the grappling position with another fighter So I like listening to the announcers I do think that they contribute to the fight and they contribute to the overall product So the American guy who's in one championship. I think he's he's very good. He's very knowledgeable about the the About MMA and the fires in general. He speaks with a lot of enthusiasm It's clear that he loves covering the sport of MMA now, the other dude, I don't know what accent he has. I don't know if it's UK. I don't know if it's Australian. I don't know if it's South African. I'm not a fan of him, to be honest with you. He kind of reminds me of of, of a uh, Mike Goldberg with an accent. With some kind of fucking country accent. I really can't distinguish what accent that is. But he kind of reminds me of, of a Goldberg in that sense. Where someone who has a great voice who, you know, reads the sponsorships and shit like that in between the fights and that kind of stuff, who has like, who throws in one-liners here and there into the into commentating, and that's basically about it. I do think that the American dude and that dude with the accent don't have that good of chemistry because when you hear them talk, sometimes they talk over each other. Sometimes, you know, the American guy would say one thing, but the other guy is trying to say another thing that's completely opposite to what the fight even is or what's even going on. I don't think they have the best of chemistry there um so as far as commentating team i think one of them is good i think the other one isn't good another thing i like about one championship is you could view it on the app i mean you can view it on their website onefc.com i love that i fucking love that even if i can't watch the fight on the day of because it came out on friday friday morning i think the main car started at 8 30. Which is around the time I start work, so I wasn't able to see it. I did watch it afterwards. I was able to watch all the fights afterwards. Um, the website is good. The loading speed is good. The video was quality. Everything was. Pr- I love the fact that I can just watch it for free on the website, no problem. I love that. That's fucking amazing. And they have it split into fights, so you don't have to watch, you know, the entire thing, every single commercial, etc. They have everything split into fights. So I personally like that aspect of it. I think one thing they do that's interesting, not necessarily good or bad, is during the, after, in the fights, after each and every single round, there's a point where they play music, like in between the rounds, where the fighter's resting and talking to their coaches. Now on TV, you can still hear the coaches. You hear the music in the background. It's not that loud. You can hear the coaches the coach perfectly clear, but... I don't think it's necessarily a good or bad thing. I think it's more so, you know, to entertain the crowd there. When it comes to when it comes to Asian MMA, it Asian MMA like back in the day in Pride and um I forgot the other promotion that came after Pride that was around for a little while. They did kind of like spectacles in a way. They'll have this huge, you know. A dance routine. The fighters would come out to like this huge dance routine and shit like that. Like I know, uh, uh, Mayhem Miller would always do something crazy. Or you, you have to if you're if you don't know Asian MMA, you have to watch Mayhem Miller's walkouts for Pride. They were fucking ridiculous and amazing. They kind of you know it wasn't just MMA. They kind of made it a whole spectacle event in a way. It was still high level MMA. Don't get me wrong, but. They, they they did that stuff too. And you know, the, the music in the background in between the rounds, that kind of reminded me of that. I don't think it's a good or bad thing. I think it's good that it separates themselves from every other um MMA promotion MMA product. Besides that, I do think again, I think Bellator has better fighters, obviously. Um UFC has better fighters. I think as far as ranking promotions wise. As far as overall talent pool. Is UFC number one by a fucking mile. Then you have Bellator. Then you have one championship. And now put Ryzen. You have other, other promotions that are pretty good. Like King of the Cage. like uh, um, Khabib's promotion. Eagle FC. But for the most part. I enjoyed the one product. Another thing I like about it. Is the Muay Thai aspect. So you have Muay Thai fights. And kickboxing fights. And the event for one championship now Bellator used to do this as well and it wasn't profitable one championship, you have an MMA fight. Another MMA fight, and out of nowhere, you have a Muay Thai fight or a kickboxing fight. I kind of like that aspect of it, to be honest with you. I don't mind watching Muay Thai. I don't mind watching kickboxing. I think it's a good you know, change of pace here and there. Will I watch a whole event that's purely Muay Thai, purely kickboxing? Absolutely not. I'm not going to watch a whole event just on Muay Thai and kickboxing. But I would watch a Muay Thai kickboxing fight here and there in between, you know one to two fights out of the entire event prelims and main card wise i don't mind that i personally like that i think it switches up the pace a little will that ever happen in the u.s no because the u.s doesn't care about muay thai and kickboxing when you look at the demographic and region that one championship really caters to it's indonesia vietnam philippines burma All those places are very, very, very prevalent in kickboxing and especially Muay Thai. So it makes sense as to why they would have those fights under their banner and their promotion. So that's another thing I like about One Championship. And they have Rich Franklin, a fucking, you know, one of the best middleweights to ever live. So um, I like One Championship. I'm a fan of One Championship. I'm going to be covering it more often. The reason why I didn't go over the fights is because i truly don't know that much about the fighters i know you know a couple of big name fighters like mirai's of course um freaking mighty mouse uh, who's still doing a damn thing so i'm going to be talking about it more going forward but all in all i'm a fan of their work now i'm going to get into mma news slash drama so eugene Behrman, who is the head coach for city kickboxing who is the head coach for Alexander Volkanovsky. He says that Oliveira is a harder matchup for Volkanovsky than Islam is. And he goes to explain as to why. So he says Oliveira all around is just, overall, it's just more well-rounded than Islam. He says Oliveira has very good striking. He has good grappling, good wrestling, and he has an incredible ground game. He would be more of a challenge than Islam. I do agree in that aspect. I do 100% agree in that aspect. I think... I think Volkanovski is very good striking-wise, very, very good striking-wise. I think on the feet, that's a fight that Volkanovski could win. Now we haven't seen Volkanovski fight at 155. That's the thing. Granted, the dude used to be a rugby player. He's like five foot six. He's a short king, a literal short king, five foot five, five foot six. He used to be 230 pounds as a rugby player. The dude is jacked. His legs literally look like. Like tree trunks. So even though he shrunk down to 145. Almost losing 100 pounds basically. His frame still carries. Is still able to carry that weight easily. He probably walks around 160, 165. So him going to 155 would not be a problem for him at all. I think he would look just as good as 155 as to 145. Now the difference is you're fighting bigger opponents. You're fighting people who hit harder. Olivero looks like a very skinny guy. He looks like a very skinny, unassuming guy. The guy hits hard, man. Every every person, he's he's putting guys away. He completely knocked Gaethje on his ass before he was able to tap him. He TKO Michael Chandler. Granted, Michael Chandler isn't the best example because he is kind of chinny. But is not chinny at all. So as far as striking-wise... Volkanovski gets hit, and Volkanovski gets rocked, and Volkanovski also gets dropped. Granted, Volkanovski has very good, you know, resilience when it comes to submissions. We've seen it against the Ortega fight. He was able to, you know, get out of the triangle. He was able to get out of the guillotine. So, I think that Volkanovski wouldn't be an easy dude to tap. But then again, you're fighting opponents that are far bigger than what you're normally used to. You're, you're getting hit with firepower that's far harder than what you're normally used to. I think that it wouldn't just be a walk in the park for going to 155. I think whoever he fights, whether it be Islam, whether it be Oliveira, they will give him a very hard time at 155. But I do agree with Eugene Behrman saying that Oliveira would be the harder test out of the two. Because Oliveira is just by far more well-rounded. Now we have Michael Bischoff saying that Tyson is wrong on his take that McGregor should do two, three tuna fights, um, then fight the top of the competition, like the top of the division. Now Mike Tyson on his podcast with Henry Cejudo, he was telling Henry that you know what's best for McGregor is he takes a tuna fight. He he fights you know two, three guys who are good but not at the very top echelons of the division to get his feet wet, to get that confidence back, and then fight the top of the division. Bispin's saying he was wrong. Bispin's explanation as to why Tyson was wrong is because, one, you don't know how how Conor McGregor is going to perform. So, you know, he's had a long layoff. He's... To be quite frankly with you, he's a little bit on the wash side. He just broke his leg literally in two, so we don't know how well he's going to perform and stand on it, or he's to be able to, you know, effectively kick using it, etc. So he he's saying that listen, we don't know how Conor's going to perform. So if you give Conor a tuna fight and he loses that fight, then he's fucked. Like you you're not gonna be able to sell him effectively anymore. So might as well throw him against the top of division. For one, to see how he performs, and for two, to make the most money out of him, um, you know, for the sake of the UFC-wise and that aspect. Which, I can see both viewpoints for either side, to be honest with you. I think, personally, I would, I agree with Tyson. I think that Conor should do a 2 a fight, like the same thing he did with Cerrone. I think Conor should, should, you know, should fight someone who is, you know... I would say, on who's a little bit on the wash side, to be honest with you. I would have Conor fight someone like a Tony Ferguson. Where we've seen Tony, he came, he came out guns blazing his last fight. He got knocked out, but he was doing fairly good up until that point. Someone like a Tony. Someone like a, uh, I'm trying to think of a name at 170. Maybe, I think Chandler would be a bad fight for Conor as of right now. But I think the perfect fight for him would be someone like Tony. One, Tony's been calling him out for years. Two, the press conference would be entertaining. Three, both men are big selves. Tony is very popular in MMA community. Obviously, Conor McGregor is very popular in MMA community. I think that would be a good starter fight for Conor to come back to. Or like a Nate Diaz. Or someone like a a Jorge Masvidal. I think those are good fights for Conor. I don't think Conor should be going in there fighting dudes like Charles Oliveira. Like uh, Kamaru Usman or any of those type of guys. I think those are all bad fights for Conor. So, I do agree with um, Mike Tyson, that he should have a tune up fight before he fights these upper echelon guys. Now, Gilbert Burns says that Usman is still levels above Hamza Shemaev. There was an interview with, with Usman. I mean, there's an interview with Burns, and he was saying that, listen, he fought both guys. He's seen what both guys are capable of. He definitely knows what Usman is capable of because he trained with Usman for years up until they fought. He says that Usman is still by far levels above Hamza Shemaev. This should be obvious. This should 100% be obvious. 100% be obvious. Usman's the top of the division. He's the second greatest welterweight to, to ever live. I don't think he passed GSP yet. I think I'm not even getting to that. I'm not going to touch on that because I could be here all day. But Usman is one of the greatest fighters to ever live. He's definitely within the top 10. So, of course, I would say this one's obvious that Usman is still a level or Level or two above Hansa Shamaev. Now, I've seen where I saw this is on Twitter. I think it was by MMA Junkie. Shout out to them. But I saw it on Twitter, and I always read the comments when I see posts like this because I want to see how other people in MMA community are thinking. And a lot of those dudes are in denial. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of those dudes are saying, Oh, you know, uh, you know. He he didn't stick to the game plan. He didn't stick to the game plan. We didn't see how good he really is. We didn't see how well he truly performs. He's like, oh, Burns is just salty because he lost to someone who was ranked number 10 when he's, you know, he's number two. And et cetera, et cetera. Listen, the fact that Hamza didn't stick to the game plan should be alarming to you. That's not something to be proud of as far as, oh, he even though he didn't stick to the game plan, he still fought this good. You can't do that against these top guys. You cannot stick to your game plan against someone like Kobe. You cannot stick to your game plan against someone like Usman. The fact that Hamzat really thought he was going to go in there and do to Burns what he did to everyone else is fucking ridiculous. I knew that wasn't going to happen straight off the jump. I knew that Burns was going to give him a run for his money. Personally, I think Burns won that fight. I'm not going to get into that I could be here all day on it. I watched the fight three times, and every single time that I watched it, i gave give it for Burns. But either way... Yeah, just it, you can you can argue that he did win. If you want to argue that Hamzat went cool, I'm really not going to object to it too much. Because if it was a five round fight, I know he definitely would have won because Burns was gassing. But you can't sit there and say, oh, because it didn't stick to the game plan, you know, we haven't seen, you know, then Uzzam would definitely be smoked by Hamzat. Bro, if you're not sticking to the game plan, and that's your thing to not stick to the game plan to get into a firefight. You're not going to do that against Usman. It's not going to be a, sm- a smart move for you. So I do think that Usman is a step or two above Hamza. I think if they fought, er- Usman would clearly win to show you why he's the best in that division right now. So I thought this was obvious, but apparently the MMA community is delusional. I'm not fucking surprised at all. Now we have Jeff Molina, right? Jeff Molina, Um, he's not a very known fighter he made a post that basically showing off the the uh the lgbt pride month shorts that the ufc does every single year they've been doing this for like three four years now this is not new shit you see it every year around this time they released the pride shorts and, and Jeff Miller was like hey i'm excited to to wear these shorts and the octagon for my fight to represent pride month now A lot of people in MMA, and MMA sphere, and the fans thought he was gay. But besides that, they shitted on him for it. They shitted on him for wearing pride shorts. Basically, here's the issue with MMA fans, right? MMA fans are basically... The demographic for MMA is like alt-right or ultra-conservative. That's the overall demographic for MMA. Those are the people who watch MMA. When you see someone who shits on MMA fans... And say a bunch of shit about MMA fans... How they're inbreds and how, you know... They're disgusting people and etc. They're kind of right. I'm not going to lie to you. It's sad. It really is sad. Because they are kind of right. I can't. If someone says, yo, I don't watch MMA because their fans are shitty... I can't even argue with them. Because it's correct. Because these fans are shitty. So the fans shitted on him for wearing the Pride shorts... And for wearing, you know, for representing Pride Month, first of all, I thought he was gay just because he was wearing Pride shorts. was kind of fucking stupid. And on top of that, they were like, bro, why are you representing this community? This is not right. Some pe- so this is what you saw. This is what I saw in the comments. There was the dudes who were super religious, like, oh, this is not right. This is not right. This is not right by God, et etc." Et then you had the dudes who were just homophobic saying, oh, why, why are we celebrating a dude fucking another dude? First off, it's not just celebrating dudes fucking other dudes. It's 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 celebrating women fucking other women. It's celebrating Like dude turned into a girl, girl turned into a dude, a person who don't know what the fuck they are. That's what it's celebrating. It's not just celebrating dudes fucking dudes. So you have dudes that are just you have a bunch of homophobic guys like, oh, I'm not I'm tired of just celebrating dudes fucking dudes. And like why are we celebrating a guy getting fucked the ass by another guy? I'm like, bro, it's not just that. So you have that. I'm sorry that I'm laughing. It's just like the overall ignorance of people. So there's it's just you have those kind of homophobic people who are who are you know commenting on that as well then you have the dudes who are saying oh they, they got political they're like oh i'm tired of these corporations pushing their agendas on us like i'm tired of seeing all this LGBTQ shit all the time i'm getting tired of it i'm getting tired of these corporations doing this stuff it's annoying now i guess i can understand their perspective and if you're constantly seeing something over and over and over again you start to get annoying my thing is you know how like why didn't you feel that way with every company was saying stand with Ukraine? Why didn't you feel that way with you know Black Lives Matter or a bunch of other stuff? So it, it, I think it was mostly just them disguising their homophobia for you know fucking political gains. It's true. A lot of corporations now just do the whole. LGB Key Tooth... You know... The Pride Month thing... They put the Pride Flag... And a bunch of other shit... For that one month... to take it down... And... They just want to... Capitalize on... That specific... You know... Um... Community... It happens all the time... I'm not saying it doesn't happen... It definitely does happen... But my thing is... It was just a bunch of people... Who were just shitting on the guy... For just wearing shorts... And... And Jeff Molina was saying... After, thank God he won the fight... He thought he lost the fight... But he ended up winning it... And... He was saying, yo, I got so much backlash, like, I was kind of shocked, like, listen, I'm not gay, I'm just, I just want to represent, uh, you know, oppressed communities. He's like, he gives examples of a bunch of different oppressed communities throughout the years, throughout the decades, He's like, bro, I'm just representing the oppressed community. Like, I didn't expect to get that much backlash. And even there, after the post, people were shitting on him afterwards, It's saying the same shit as before. It w- it was kind of disgusting, man. It was kind of disgusting. As, when I seen the post, uh, I seen it on Twitter. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Noah Petri R six. So I seen it and I commented, "I'm like, dude, the like, it's I'm ashamed for being an MMA fan. Like, why are you why y'all so homophobic, bro? Like, just chill. It's not that serious. Like, let the man wear his trunks and stop complaining. If a dude wanted to get sucked by the, from the back from another dude, let him. Who cares? Who cares, bro? Who cares? Why is it concern you so much? Like I don't understand. Me, here's, here's my stance on it, bro. You can be as gay as you want. You can have another dude suck you from the back. That's cool. That's cool. I don't care. But as long as you don't try to hit on me and everything else, I'm fine. Because that would just make me uncomfortable. Because I don't I don't want to be hit on. So that's my stance on it. I don't I give a shit what other people do with their lives. So the fact that you know all these guys are just you know going hard on this shit for no reason, I'm like, bro, like it's, it's straight up shameful to be an MMA fan. You might not like it, but why are you y- y'all going crazy for this shit? Like, dude, it's really not that serious. So I posted that. I got a couple of likes from it, and then there was one Indian dude that like I was being, <laughs> said I was being a pussy, which is hilarious. I literally started dying laughing. So I cut his ass after. If you're not familiar with the term cutting ass, it's where we in New York say we're making fun of someone. So I cut that Indian dude's ass after on Twitter. I love arguing with people, to be honest with you. Like, I love making fun of people. Like, of course, I'm not going to sit there and be a bully and make fun of people for no reason. But if someone comes at me, I enjoy it so much. Because it gives me an opportunity to make fun of you. So... I cut his ass. Um, I get a couple of likes on that too. And uh, I'm just shocked. Like, dude, like, it's not that serious. It's a pair of shorts. Who cares? Who really cares? I don't... Like, he's the only guy to wear the shorts. We shout out to him for being the brave soul to fucking wear them. But it's not that serious. It's just shorts. Like, relax. And on top of that, I'm not going to lie to you. The shorts are kind of dope. They're all black. And then you have the, the, the lettering that would most, would most of the time be white it's like in the, the rainbow color, but they do it in a cool way. And in the in the freaking drawstring, the strings are rainbow. I think it's kind of cool. I think that the shorts don't look half bad, to be honest with you. Fuck it. If I was an MMA fighter in this Pride Month, I'm fucking wearing them too. If I was a UVC fighter, I'm wearing them shits too on Pride Month. Telling everyone to suck my ass. So it really wasn't that big of a deal, bro. Like, bro, they're just shorts. Relax, son. Why are you so homophobic, bro? Like, relax. It's not that serious. But yeah, the whole the the MMA community is homophobic. I'm sorry, it is what it is. Eh, MMA community sucks, man. MMA fans suck in general. I I don't blame anyone for shitting on MMA fans. But we have the PG predictions for UFC 275. So UFC 275, it's a very good card. It's a very good card. I'm not. It's a very very good card. Uh, the UFC has given us a lot of duds lately. As other people in the industry say, they're edging us on. <laughs> so the fact that we have a good card, we, we got to relish in it right now. And we have, I'm going to go from, from bottom to top. So we have Zhang versus Joanna Jacek 2. So we all remember that first fight back in 2019. That fight was amazing. Easily the greatest woman fight to ever happen, ever Greatest woman fight of all time. Easily hands down, one of the best fights ever in general. The fight was fucking amazing. So this fight, this second fight is gonna happen, is not gonna be like the first at all. It's gonna be completely different from the first. Entirely different from the first. One, joanna has been gone for two, almost three years. And we see Ioana on Instagram. She's always posing in bathing suit. She's going out. She's like bullshitting. I don't know how hard she was training during those times because she's always doing modeling shit and that kind of stuff in the meantime. I'm not, I'm not trying to say always oh, bullshit and you know she hasn't been training. That's not the case at all. But when I look at someone like a Shevchenko who's always in the gym who literally never had a relationship because all she knows is fighting... She takes this shit seriously. She lives and breathes this stuff. I can tell from the way you want us talking that I don't think she really cares too much to win the belt again. I think she just, she knows she's at the tail end of her career and she wants to make as, mo- as much money as possible. Cool. I understand it. I get it. I respect it. You fucking deserve it. You earned it. You're one of the greatest women fighters ever. So that fight is not going to happen the same way it happened the first time. Zhang has improved in her grappling. I think Zane, I think this fight, I think really Zhang will be very much grappling heavy in this fight. It wouldn't be the you know, kind of striking brawl that was the first time. I think Zhang is going to come out the gate doing a lot of grappling for the most part, and I think she'll get a. I think she'll get a split split decision victory. I'm not going to call the rounds that she will win because that's crazy, but I do think she will win two out of three, and I think it's mostly going to be because of her effective grappling and wrestling. Then we have Valentina against Ty Santos. Ty Santos, I think, has a Muay Thai background. I think she was a Muay Thai champion. She's ranked number five or six in the division fighting Valentina Shachenko. Here's the thing, right? I'm not going to write off Ty Santos. I'm not going to say that she has no way in hell to beat Valentina Shashanko. That's not the case because Ty has very good striking. But here's the thing. Valentina is so fucking well-rounded. Valentina is easily the most well-rounded woman fighter of all time. I wouldn't say she's the greatest of all time because resume-wise, it just doesn't stack up to her resume with Amanda Nunes. Technically, Amanda beat her twice. I do think if they fought a third time, Valentina would win. I'm not going to get into that. But Valentina is so well-rounded, and her grappling and wrestling is so good. She reminds me of a female GSP in that Valentina's, I think she was a nine-time Muay Thai champion, women's champion, nine times, nine times, bro, nine times, I believe so, either eight or nine, somewhere around there. So she came into the game just pure striking, a master in striking, and she became an excellent world I'm not gonna say world class, became an excellent wrestler. She can wrestle and she could grapple with anyone in that division. We saw what she was able to do to Andraz. Andraz who is known for grappling, known for wrestling, known for being typically the stronger out of whoever she's fighting wasn't able to do anything as far as grappling-wise to Valentin Shachanko. Shachenko also has the highest fight IQ in any woman fighter ever, in my personal opinion. She's up there. She's easily top three. So I think Valentin Shachanko is going to go in there. Is going to be very grappling-heavy. I think she's either going to submit Tai Santos or I think she's going to um, uh, win by TKO ground and Pal. But I think it'll be I think it'll be more entertaining than her last couple of fights. But I I just don't see anyone beating Valentina Shevchenko as of right now. I think when Valentina wins, she should go out to 135 and fight the winner between Amanda and Juliana Pena. I think that's her her path. I think that's what she should do. Now we have Glover Teixeira against Yuri Plahatchka. Glova Teixeira, the king of Connecticut, straight out of Danbury, Brazil. So Danbury, Brazil is so fucking Brazilian. I said Danbury, Brazil. Danbury, Connecticut. Sorry. Excuse me. Danbury, Connecticut is so fucking Brazilian, bro. When you, when you come to New York, like the default second language is Spanish. You hear Spanish everywhere. In Danbury, that second default language is Portuguese. So you hear Portuguese everywhere. I actually know more Portuguese than I know Spanish than I am Spanish. Shame on me. But I think this fight is interesting Because you have someone who, in Yeri Prohaska, who is super unpredictable. A very good striker. I don't know how good his takedown defense is, but a very good striker. Super unpredictable. Very explosive. Against someone who, and Glover Teixeira, who's very grappling heavy, wrestling heavy, submission heavy, and has very good background. And is an absolute veteran in the game. I think too many people are writing off Glover Teixeira. I think everyone's expecting Yuri to win by some... Said by some, you know, significant highlight reel kind of knockout, like what he did to um, Dominic Reyes. Now I don't know if y'all forgot, Dominic Reyes was putting it on Yuri and almost put him away in that fight until he got officially knocked out with a spinning back elbow. But I think Glover Teixeira wins this fight. I think I think Gary's gonna rock Glover. I think Uri will rock Glover. I think you're will hurt Glover. I think Glover will of the storm. I think, you, I think Glover is going to win by submission. I think Glover is going to get Yuri on the ground. Once Glover gets Yuri on the ground, fight's over. That's it. Fight is done. The fight is done. Uh, once he gets him on the ground, the fight's done. Yuri has three rounds. To, I, I would say he has two to three rounds to beat Glover. Two to three. If it goes past three, he ain't winning. So I... I'm personally going to bet money on Glover Teixeira. I think too many people are writing him out. He is a champ for a reason, and I think he's going to pull it off. But there goes episode 6 of R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. Again, dropping every single Tuesday at 7 a.m. You can follow me on Twitter at r 6 and I hope you guys have a good day. Bye.